I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Ephesians as we pick, off, pick up where we left off last week, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And as you were making your way there, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you remember the first time that you bounced a check? Some of you are like, what are checks? I remember the very first time that I bounced a check, and basically what that means, if you're not up with the lingo, is you wrote a check for more money than you had in your bank account. And so when I was about 17 years old, I had a bank account, and I wrote a check that I didn't have enough money to cover. And all of a sudden get a notice at that point in time in the mail from the bank that said, you don't have enough money for this check that you wrote. And my dad sat me down and he said, son, you must have the money in your account if you're going to write a check. And I said, how am I supposed to know how much money is in my account. Listen, let's all be honest with each other. It's a whole lot easier now than it was 15 or 20 years ago. I haven't balanced a checking account in years now. And the reason is you just log on and it tells you what your balance is. But no, years ago, you know this, you actually had to keep track of how much money you were spending, whether it was on a debit card or whether it was with checks. You had to know and you had to sit down at various points and balance your checkbook or reconcile your checkbook to bring it into unity so you knew how much money you had to spend. What we're going to see this morning in the text, as Paul is continuing to write this letter to this group of believers in the city of Ephesus, is this idea of reconciliation, of what it means for Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself. And so I want to read the text for us this morning, and then we'll walk back through it together. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea. This will frame our time together in the text this morning. And it's this truth, what is true for the individual believer in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, what we covered last week, is true of believers collectively as well. I want you to notice what Paul does. It's one of my favorite things that Paul does in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you missed that message last week, you can always go back and listen to it or watch it if you want to. But I want to remind you what Paul did last week as we work through the text. Paul reminds individual believers of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. In verses 1 through 3, he said, here's what you used to be, dead in your sins and your trespasses, an enemy of God, deserving of God's wrath. And then he continues on, beginning in verse 4, and he says, but because of Jesus Christ and his great mercy towards us in laying down his life, he has brought us into a relationship with our heavenly Father. Jesus took us from where we used to be to where we are today as believers, individually. That's what happened in your life, and that's what happened in my life. And then we said at the end of verse 10, Paul tells us that we then, in light of what Christ has done, are God's workmanship. We are created new in Christ so that God can use us for his glory. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that describes you as an individual before God. What I love that Paul does is zooms out for a bit in verses 11 through 22. So Paul says, what's true of you as an individual believer, let's take a step back and look at it in the context of believers collectively of the church. And he does that beginning in verse 11 and 12. If you notice, he's going to mirror the same truth that he laid out in verses 1 through 10. So he's going to say, here's what you used to be. Here's what you are now. And in light of that, here's what you are to do in this world. 
individual to us collectively as the body of Christ. Verse 11 and 12, I want you to notice this truth. We are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. Notice what he says beginning in verse 11. Therefore, in light of what Paul has already told us about our lives individually as believers, if we've trusted Jesus Christ, therefore, in light of that, Paul says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul here is mirroring what he said about the individual believer, but he's doing it collectively to this church that is located in the city of Ephesus. And he wants them to understand something collectively. It's something that we need to understand as well as we gather every single week as the body of Christ here. We need to be reminded of what is true about us collectively. So for Paul here, what he wants the believers in Ephesus to understand is the great truth that they were separated from God because of their sin. But he also adds a step even further than that. He says, you weren't even in the right group of people. He calls their attention here that they are not Jews by ethnicity. He calls their attention to the reality that they were not the children of Israel. If you remember back in the Old Testament, what God had done is he had chosen his people. He had said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to create generation after generation, as many as the sand is on the seashore, as many as the stars are in the heaven. That will be your descendants. And if they will follow me, I will bless them and I will use them to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And we see that play out throughout the Old Testament. We see this promise of a Messiah coming, a Savior who would save his people from their sins. And we see it take place through a certain group of people. What Paul wants the believers in Ephesus to recognize and understand is that they weren't the right group. They weren't Jews by ethnicity. They weren't the children of Israel. In fact, he calls them Gentiles, meaning that they were separated from the Jewish people. But notice what he says about them. He says, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. He says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were without God in the world. Church, what I want you to know and what we need to recognize is that for us gathered together as the body of Christ here at North River Church, that same thing holds true for us. Before we meet Jesus Christ, before we trust Christ as our Savior, we are hopeless. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We're not even in the right family. And yet, What we see beginning in verse 13 once again is the word but. 
I don't know if you remember last week, we saw it in verse 4 of verse 1 through 10. We saw that same word appear. That Paul lays out for us, here's what we used to be, but God. And he does that here. Here's who you used to be as a group, collectively, but. Beginning in verse 13, notice the second truth. We are reconciled and at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 13, but now, you used to be aliens, you used to be strangers, you used to have no hope, and you were without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says there's a great change that takes place because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives as believers and collectively as the body of Christ gathered here in one expression at North River Church, that's us. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we used to be far off from God, but now we've been brought into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Notice verse 14. For He Himself, that is, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, something that was going on in the early church was that there were Jewish believers, those who believed that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah, that they looked down on the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ. In fact, if you go back to the book of Acts, there was a question of whether or not Gentiles could actually be saved. Like, that was a question that they were asking. And they come to the realization that, oh yeah, that's exactly what Jesus was all about. The commission that Jesus gave to his disciples was to make disciples of all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Every single person. The gospel message should be proclaimed to so that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says... He is our peace. Who has made us both one. Now think about that. At this point in time, ethnically speaking, the Jewish people looked down on the Gentiles, but notice what Paul says to this group of Gentile believers and maybe sprinkled in a few Jewish believers in the church in Ephesus. He says that Jesus Christ, by His blood and His flesh, has broken down the wall that divided Jew and Gentile. That Jesus Christ in His shed blood is making it possible for anyone, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of the language that they speak or the place that they grew up in, Paul says here, Jesus Christ has broken down every single wall and barrier that exists between God's chosen people, Israel, and everyone else so that now there is one people those whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ it says in verse 15 by 
abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He, that is Jesus, might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace. And that Jesus might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What I want you to see, church, is that it does not matter your background or my background when we look at what Paul is saying here. You know, this world in which we live is doing everything it can to segregate us into groups, to saying what's most important is your group identity. And it doesn't matter what that may be. It may be on the basis of race. It may be on the basis of color. It may be on the basis of ethnicity. It may be on the basis of whether you are a Florida fan (laughs) or you've seen the light and you're not. But the culture in which we live is seeking to group us in groups. But I want you to notice that for us as believers, what Paul is laying out for the church is that for us, there is one group. For you and I, that we are united together under Christ. That of everything that may be different about us, all of that is set aside because we are one in Christ. You know, as we look at that, what we realize is that there are things that are more important for us as believers than being part of certain groups. And for you and for me, we have to make sure that of every group we may be a part of, of every group that we may be lopped into, that for us, mentally speaking, we know that the fact that we are a follower of Jesus Christ supersedes any of those. Meaning for you and for me, that if we meet a fellow believer, that we look and recognize that that is the most important thing that unites the two of us together. Jesus Christ's blood that was shed for us. Maybe you've come in this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. This entire series, walking through the book of Ephesians, is about identity. In this world in which we live, I want you to know, is fixated on identity. Identity of the job that you have, identity of a group, identity of how much money that you make, identity of what your kids are like. Identity is the currency in our culture. But I want you to recognize that in the book of Ephesians, what Paul wants us as believers to recognize is our identity in Christ supersedes everything else. He continues on, verse 18, and he says, For through Him, that is through Jesus Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Verse 19, 
I want you to take note of this third truth. We are adopted into God's family and set apart for His work in this world through Jesus Christ. So if you remember back last week, verses 1 through 10, here's who you were, here's what Christ has done as a result of that. This is how God calls you to live out in this world. Notice again, collectively speaking, as followers of Jesus, this is what you used to be collectively. This is who you are collectively. Now he's about to say, here's what you are to do collectively as the body of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice what he says continuing. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I want you to know that the church is not built on pastors. The church is not built on having a building. The church is not built on worship, music. The church is not built on programs. What is the church built on? We see it here. Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. Church family, everything that we do is built with Him as the foundation of every step that we take. That's why I've said to you every single week as we gather together, you don't have to ask the question, should I bring my Bible to church? Because every single week we are going to walk through the Scriptures. Why are we going to walk through the Scriptures? Because Jesus said that the Scriptures point to Him. And if He is the cornerstone of the church, what better thing can we focus in on than His Word? I want you to notice He continues on in verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, individual believers are being built together on that sure foundation and that is what makes up the church now paul later on in the book of ephesians is going to unpack this even more and he's going to say then if that's true then we need every single believer that calls North River Church home or any church home to be locked in on mission doing what God has called us to do. So that means you and I all play a part in carrying the message of the gospel forth in this culture. I want to challenge you with something as we think about that. How important is the church to you? You know, it's interesting. I have conversations with people a lot. 
And there's an argument that's floating around that, you know, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and church really isn't that important. I have those interactions with people and I, you know, ask them, hey, are you plugged into church? No, I don't go to church, but, but I'm a Christian. I say, okay. I said, well, what do you think Jesus thinks about his church? He's like, huh, I've never really thought about that before. And I said, well, it's really interesting. Jesus says he's the cornerstone of his church. Jesus said he laid his life down for his church. Jesus says he loves his church. In fact, Paul's going to lay out for us in Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus Christ is like the groom and his church is the bride, which means he loves his church. So believer, the question for us is, do we too love his church? Listen, there are a lot of things that vie for your attention on Sunday mornings. I understand that. But I want to challenge you to recognize and see that you may can be a Christian and not be plugged into the life of a local church, but you will not be an effective Christian and not be plugged into the life of the local church. You and I must lock in. You and I must realize the vital importance of collectively coming together as the church, of singing and worshiping and giving and going and telling people who Jesus Christ is. We need one another. You need me, but I want you to know I need you. And we need one another to be able to live out the mission that God has called us to live out. What's beautiful in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22 is what is true about us individually as believers is true about us collectively as his church. We're going to have the opportunity here in just a minute to celebrate what we just read about. We're going to celebrate communion together as a faith family. We're going to talk about Christ's body that was broken for us and Christ's blood that was shed for us. And so I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me as our worship team makes their way back to the stage. Maybe you've come in this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. What we said last week and what we said this week remains true that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, the reality is you are without hope in this world. And you are without hope for eternity. But there's good news this morning. That Jesus Christ by His life lived perfectly on this earth. By His death on the cross. His blood that was shed. Makes it possible for your sins to be forgiven. And His resurrection secures for you and for me eternal life with Him. Maybe for you this morning, that's the step that you need to take. Trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and 
just a few moments as we have a time where we can respond and prepare our hearts before the Lord to receive the Lord's Supper together. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Myself or Pastor Aaron will be down front. Maybe you need to come down and just tell us, I need a relationship with Jesus. And we'll know exactly what you're talking about. Maybe for you as a believer this morning, you've been convicted and challenged to consider what it means to be part of the body of Christ. What it means to love His church. To be connected and serving and growing. Maybe for you this morning, you need to recommit yourself to love His church, to serve His church, to be committed to His church. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity we have to respond to You. We're thankful that what is true about us individually is true about us collectively as the body of Christ. Father, if there's one here that's never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you give them the courage this morning to take that step? That as we sing in just a few moments, they would step out of where they are and walk down to the front and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and take that step. Father, maybe you have convicted believers in this room about their commitment to your church. God, would you help us love the church the way you love the church? Would you help us see that we are one in Christ? That there is nothing that supersedes our unity and our identity in Christ. Would you help us rest in that? Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and take this opportunity to sing with us as we worship the Lord together, and then I'll be back up and we'll sit down and take communion together. Would you respond to the Lord this morning?